welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. So good to be here. Uh, if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 4. We'll get there in just a second. Luke. Luke. Three months away. Three more months. <clears throat> For Star Wars, in case you were wondering what I'm referring to. In the Gospel of Luke. No, hey, uh, last week was pretty amazing. We uh, had this incredible opportunity to partner with World Vision to pioneer um, with them and be one of the first churches in the nation to help flip upside down child sponsorships. We sponsored last week 267 kids. <clears throat> Come on, 267. Now, now what's interesting is 50, over 50% of our congregation's attendance uh, responded to uh, sponsor a child. Wow. Over 50%. That's the most in World Vision history for a congregation percentage-wise. So we, we had a significant response for the size of our church uh, to partner with them. And, and it's amazing. Uh, I, so I want to say thank you. Thank you for being so incredible, being who you are and being generous and being sacrificial. We had families sponsor. This service had a massive response. We saw um, over 100 and something in this, this service responded, which is significant. Um, and I'm just so thankful for you guys and what you did. And so I want to tell you, last week on Monday, I got on a plane and flew down to, to Ecuador. And I had an opportunity um, to stand in the room watching every single child, 267, choose a family or individual at what was called a choosing party. Um, and it was, it was one of my favorite moments uh, of being a pastor and being a part of something so significant for lots of reasons. Um, each child got an opportunity to walk in and be um, alone in this room. And I, they walk in and they got all of your pictures on, this, uh, on these strings. And, and, and it was what was so cool is I'm like, I know almost all of you um, I knew most of the people that had sponsored, and I'm watching each child go in, and, and each child's different. One, you know, walks up, grabs the closest one to the exit, and takes off, you know, down the way. Um, but others, you know, took their time, and they, they went down the row and looked at each person individually um, to pick who they were going to build a relationship with, and they were eager um, and excited, and some of the kids were too young to do it by themselves, and, and their moms carried them in, and they were just as eager and excited and ex uh, hopeful, um, and it was so amazing, and the, the reasons they picked it, people were amazing. One uh, child I watched walk in and slowly examine all the families, and, and right before he walked in, someone asked, what are you looking for in a, in a sponsorship, and he said, I'm looking for a couple, because it's just my dad and I. I don't have a mom, and I want, I want a couple. And I watched him pick a couple in our church and get so excited knowing that he was going to have uh, a new family to write to and build relationship with because that's the point is you build relationship over time um, because it's just his, his dad who's a rice farmer. It's just him and his dad. Um, and he found that couple at our church. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Another, couple, another kid goes in and grabs, grabs someone because they, they said that the family looked happy. Um, another said this family looks like they care for people and they're generous. Another said this girl looks really pretty. And I'm like, you know, that's fair. You're going to have to stare at that picture. 
And I, it was funny. I was like, I was in the room, and I'm like, at first, I'm like, I'm for sure going to get chosen right away. Like, here I am. Got a couple of pictures up there, my family, my kids. Like, yeah. And I'm like looking at the high, you know, as they walk in, and they go right over mine. It was like, and I started getting like fearful. Like, is this going to be high school and junior high all over again? Getting last pick, you know? I was just like, all the wounds and triggers. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not kidding, but anyways. <laughs> it was amazing. It was this joyful experience of, of watching what World Vision does. And this was my first, like, immersed experience with World Vision. And I thought I was getting our church involved in sponsoring children, but that's not what we're doing. And um, World Vision doesn't just have to do with kids. It has to do with the transformation of culture and society. World Vision is an incredible organization, and yes, they sponsor children, but you're getting involved in families. You're getting involved in a local community. You're getting involved in investing in relationships to a community that needs some resource that they lack, resources that they lack, and you get to be a part of watching them develop and be transformed. So we got to go to Baba, Ecuador, and um, Baba Ecuador has some serious issues with it. They're, they're two years into their relationship with World Vision. And there are over 150 communities in Baba Ecuador. And uh, the population is about 3,000 and 30% are kids. And the greatest issues that they face are violence and teen pregnancy. It should, seven out of 10 kids in Baba are being abused. So they're working with authorities to take action. They're working with the schools to bring education. They, at the actual event we put on, um, there were police that came in and did um, kind of like a, a puppet show, a, a comedy kind of uh, educational show, and, and they were talking about violence, domestic violence and abuse. And they're educating kids and families about parenting, and they have to face violence and sexism and female mistreatment. Um, they're also dealing with poverty. You know, during the winter months, they're not able to farm. Um, it floods in Baba, Ecuador, so it's really bad. It's prone to flooding, so they can't really get to, get to work or they can't travel very far and they can't go to school um, because transportation is bad. They're, they're usually on horseback or riding bikes, so they lack normal transportation that we're used to. And they lack health care, so it's like the closest place is like an hour away and that all they have is Tylenol, essentially, at their places of where they, they give care. And so World Vision works with this, this local community and they're just beginning what is an 18-year plan uh, to part with schools and police and government and the local leaders to educate, equip, empower, and leverage the local leaders to, to bring about local transformation. So that's what I love about World Vision. They're not coming in as the answer. They're coming in and they start a relationship by asking questions, by learning, by building relationships, trusted relationships with people. And then what they do is systematically and strategically work with the people that are already there to bring about the transformation that, that is uniquely needed in each context where they go. That's amazing. World Vision, uh, in their 18-year asset-based community development transformation, year one through three, they build trusting relationships with the community. Years four through 12, they, 12, they implement a strategic plan uh, of community development, which you can go outside and see this on this big canvas out there. And then years 13 through 18, World Vision wants to phase out so World Vision isn't in Baba, Ecuador anymore because we did our part. The organization isn't trying to create dependence in these communities. They're trying to create interdependence and release, equip, and empower the community so that you don't need community development. It's developed, and now they're doing it for other places. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 
That sounds a lot like Jesus to me. So we partnered with them. We gave money for children, but actually we're giving money for a community and holistic transformation of an entire area. Uh, but why don't we just watch what happened? Check this out. We have a video for the last week. <clears throat> it's pretty cool, yeah? yeah? I mean, you can't really beat that. The experience was incredible. 267 kids got sponsored last week, and it was $39 a month to do it, and uh, we're investing in a community. Now, the need still is significant. You know, there's seven, there are 1,700 kids waiting to be sponsored in BABA, in that area. And, um, and I just think it was, it's an incredible opportunity. So uh, we, you know, there was one image that I, when we were leaving the choosing party, uh, I will never forget because what happened was I watched, you know, it was a long day of watching individually, individual kids come in and take as much time as they wanted to choose, you know, their sponsor. And then um, what happened at the end is they had, they had other kids um, and this one kid was about to go in, but he got too scared and he went to go grab his mom to go with him. By the time he came back, um, there were no more sponsors. And so what was, what I witnessed was this child just weeping, crying, um, and the mom consoling her son, just saying, you know, there are no more sponsors. Because for the kids, it's like, it's like Christmas and their birthday um, because of what it represents. And I just thought, man, that's, that's, that's terrible, you know. Um, we should be able to have enough to sponsor more. And, and then I found out that actually there's another choosing party happening in that same place this Tuesday. That, there's, that, that we're going to do another party and I invited the first service, um, if they missed last week, that you can actually sponsor kids this week. And we have photo booths over here, on this, this side over here. Um, and on your chair is uh, some information with what you do. So what you do right now is pull out your phone. So if you missed last week, I want to invite you to sponsor a kid. It's $39 a month. $39 a month. Can I tell you a quick story of what happened in the first service? So a few years ago, there was a guy who came to our gathering who was intoxicated and homeless, and we, he was disrupting our service. We had to usher him out um, because it was getting a little chaotic. A few years later, he came back. I didn't recognize him at all. He was sober. He was taken in by New Life Beginnings, and he was healthy, and he's been in our church for over a year now. And um, he's still living in transitional housing, works with New Life Beginnings, um, still, you know, He's been sober. He's dealing with all these things. And he's like, I, I got to do it, Darren. How do I sign up? And he just signed up and sponsored a kid. And it made me think like, wow, there's so much more possible if people who don't have housing that are still transitioning out of homelessness are empowering kids in Baba. We can do a little more. Would you agree? So brothers and sisters, if you sponsored some people, why don't you sponsor some extra people? $39 a month is like less than a coffee budget for most of us. Would you agree to some of that? Some of us have a coffee addiction that's beyond. Or Netflix subscription, Prime subscription, Hulu, uh, Disney Plus, Apple. It's like, how many subscriptions can we possibly have? How much entertainment do we need? Can we actually put our priorities in line with Jesus' priorities, I suppose. That's just what I'm saying. I don't mean to offend anyone. I kind of do. Um, but I just want to, like, this, let's just, let's, like, divorce ourselves from the American way and tie ourselves to the Jesus way. So pull out your phones, text that number, fill out the information. You can do this while I'm preaching. This is the only time I'm okay with you being on your phone doing this thing unless you're taking notes. And do this thing um, so you can sponsor a kid. And then go out and take your photo. And we need it done today because Tuesday your photo will be at an another choosing party. 
So after the service, if you sponsored a kid already, you, there's going to be an envelope with your name on it on this side. After the service, grab it, and you'll see which child chose you. How cool is that? So that's amazing. I think it's cool. So Wednesday, September 18th, uh, in Baba, Ecuador, I got to experience a little bit of heaven on earth. Um, and we, we want to continue to, to partner with Baba. And I just got to say, World Vision was so inspiring to me. And being there, um, it, it reminded me of what it means to be church. It reminded me of what this series we're in called Present Future Church. And so this morning, I want to preach a sermon that will be a reminder for us of what it means to be the present future church. So let me pray, and, um, and we're going to jump into Luke 4. So, Lord, we bless you. We honor you. We thank you for all the things you're doing around the world. We bless Baba Ecuador, and we pray your kingdom come there as it is in heaven. And we uh, pray that you would inspire us today to be passionate and generous, that you would help us uh, realign ourselves to the things that you're doing here and around the world. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. My hope today is to inspire and lift your head to what's possible. I also hope that God, uh, through His Spirit, plants seeds uh, of fruitful ministry through this word. Because what I think is going to happen is some of you will be reinvigorated and reimagine your life and dream again to partner with God in His dreams. And what I think is going to happen is some of you will get real practical with it. I don't have a lot of practicals in this, although some, a little bit of it. But my real hope is just to lift your heads to what Jesus is about. Um, and what it means to be the church, what it means to be the present future church. So Luke chapter 4, here we go. Uh, Luke 4 is, um, is for the gospel of Luke, the writer Luke who writes the biography of Jesus. Uh, this is his kind of mission statement for the ministry of Jesus. This particular passage of scripture will be the framework through which you need to understand the mission of Jesus. Okay? So Luke, in chapter 4, it begins with Jesus going off to the wilderness. He's being tempted by the devil. It said he's led to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He's tempted for 40 days. He comes back, and it says he comes back to Galilee. First, he's led by the Spirit. It says he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important to know. So now he's an anointed empowered, um, uh, uh, incarnate son of God. And he goes to the synagogue in Galilee and he preaches his first sermon. So this is Jesus' first sermon. And I want you to particularly pay attention to the Yelp review at the end. So check this out. So Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me. So he's sitting in the, he's sitting in the service and the Isaiah scrolls just so happens to come by and he opens it up. He stands and he, he goes to 61 and he reads this. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. Everyone's looking at him and he says, hey, today this scripture has been fulfilled, is the proper translation, in your hearing. Like, what? Isn't this the carpenter dude? And he has this like interaction about the prophet not being welcomed in his hometown. And then it says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. One star Yelp review. Would you agree? (laughs) But he walked away. What's going on in this passage? What's happening to where Jesus, in his first sermon, 
he's already being confronted by the culture that he was in. What's going on? Well, what's going on is, is Luke is making a case that the way as disciples we need to read the gospel of Luke is through the lens of um, this messianic promise of Isaiah 61. So go to Isaiah 61. When uh, a New Testament author writes a random reference to uh, an Old Testament, so they, they refer to an Old Testament passage, as readers of the scripture, one thing I want to teach you as you learn to study scripture as your pastor, I want you to know this, that when, when you read like a couple of verses from a particular passage, in a cross-reference Bible, it will list that passage at the bottom of the Bible or in the columns. Don't just read those verses quoted. The author intends you to understand the context of the entire passage. So we don't just look at Isaiah 61, a couple of verses. We should look at the whole context of Isaiah 61, which I'm going to give you a little context. Is that good? Because this will help us understand. Remember, we're answering the question, what does it mean to be the present future church? So Jesus' ministry has something to do with us today and what it means to be church, what it means to carry the role of Jesus' mission today. In Isaiah 61, what Isaiah does in this section, it's broken up into different sections. Isaiah has this long prophetic message and a lot of it is doom, like this is what's coming. But then it gets hopeful near the end. And we read all these hopeful passages of what God is about to do. And scholars call Isaiah's vision uh, glimpses of a new exodus. So if you remember the Old Testament in Exodus, the book of Exodus, there's a story of Moses freeing the Israelites. They were enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. And then all this stuff happens and they get set free and they become the people of God. And then the story goes on. Remember God's commandments. They don't remember God's commandments. And so they, get, uh, they build a city. It gets destroyed. And then they go off into exile. Well, Isaiah writes about, hey, now that you've been in, you're going into exile, remember there's a time coming. He's putting their, into their imagination that there's a time coming when God will bring about a new exodus. But it won't be just for Israel. It will be for anyone everywhere that's been oppressed by an oppressor. That there will be a messenger that comes that prepares for the Messiah. And the Messiah means anointed one. And the anointed one will come as a represent, uh, representative of God. And he will bring and put things back to order like Moses. But it will be much bigger and grander. And so we get a glimpse of what this ministry of the Messiah is going to look like in Isaiah 61. And I want to read it one more time. So go to Isaiah 61. And I want you to think to, to yourself that this has something to do with your life as the church today. Remember, we're not talking about church institution. We're not talking about church like websites and Instagram followers or YouTube channels and podcasts. We're talking about you, church. You are the church. Are you with me? So Isaiah 61 when the Messiah comes, this is what it's going to look like. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. So he's talking about the Messiah. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. And release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's a reference to the jubilee. To bring about the jubilee that's promised. And, and then Jesus stops there, but we got to keep reading to understand what he's referring to. It goes on and it says, look, the day of vengeance of our God, judgment and wrath, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. 
They. Now, who is Isaiah referring to? All the people that were written about right before this, those that were poor, those that were brokenhearted, those that were held captive, those that were prisoners of darkness, those that needed the year of the Lord's favor, those that were mourning and grieving, those who are sitting with ashes, those who were uh, mourning, those who were in a spirit of despair, those kinds of people will become oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for all the, dis- uh, for the, the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord and will be named ministers of our God. And you will feed on the wealth of the nations. And in their riches, you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And it goes on and on and on and on. And when you think about the ministry of Jesus, when you think about the ministry of the church, when you think about the ministry of the coming Messiah and this new Exodus, it is not an invitation for a religious experience. It is transforming of society and culture. The Messiah doesn't come to give you warm fuzzies so that you can have a better life. He comes to empower you to rebuild cities. Nations, continents, countries, the earth. Where does heaven reside at the end of the story? On earth. Earth will experience heaven's dwelling once and for all. God is working to bring home what was designed to be in the first place. Heaven married to earth. And that's the, the, the mission of the Messiah. The mission of the Messiah is that his message is for the down and out, the broken, the anxious, the spiritually oppressed, those that have no clue about spiritual things, the poor, the widows, the foreigners, the immigrants, those that don't have a place, those that are the least, the last, the lost, those that have been kicked out to the margins by the church. And he says, no, you are going to rebuild my future city. That's the mission of the Messiah. So of course, the religious uptight are offended. Let's kill them. I want the American way in the American church. And Jesus says, not on my watch. I'm going to flip it upside down. Just a side note, this is just a prophetic, I won't call it prophetic. This is just my observation. I'm going to be careful when I say that because I don't want to misuse that word. This is my observation. You will feed on the wealth of the nations. I was in Baba, Ecuador, dealing with some of the you know, worst poverty in the world. And I've been all over, India, Philippines. You've got massive poverty in Africa. Three million children around the world die of diarrhea. Like, preventable issues. Serious, like we've dealt with sanitation. We don't have to worry about that. Most of the world has to deal with that. And it says that when the Messiah comes, those people will feast on the wealth of the nations. Now, America, the United States of America, is the wealthiest nation in the world. And what I got to experience 
was the Isaiah 61 passage coming into reality as the nation's wealth, the wealthiest nation is giving to a poorer nation. Is that not a miraculous moment where we steward the words of Isaiah, the scripture, the words of Jesus and say, we're gonna partner with your prayer on earth as it is in heaven and bring that into reality, not by praying, but by bringing $39 a month for a child to experience transformation. That is the Messiah's mission coming into reality. How are we doing, church? What does it mean to be church? What does it mean for us to embody this message, this idea that actually oil of joy, a be beauty instead of ashes, a, a, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Is not spirit of despair the stronghold of the American nation? Despair, the idea that things will always be this way. Despair, this idea that your anxiety and depression and your way of life. Despair that all you think about is yourself. And the, the solution, the practice, the, 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 the way out of despair is a garment of praise. So when we worship, we're speaking against the stronghold over our generation. This is the message of Jesus. This is the ministry of the Messiah. This is what is coming and has come. This is the present future reality that the present future church transforms culture. This is what you see all over the place. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the story of God marrying heaven back to earth once and for all where it was in the first place before sin and corruption and all the things that were vanished until um, uh, shalom was vandalized and now God is bringing about his shalom once, once again through the church. Um, should I just give you a couple more thoughts about this? So I, I think this theme, if you're getting it, is that the present future church transforms culture. And what do I mean? Well, I, I spend, I'm a pastor, I'm in the church, I deal with a lot of other pastors and churches and I was talking to some World Vision people this last week and we're talking about the church. Why aren't more churches responding why does it feel like World Vision has to sell this ministry to the church when this is the job of the church in the first place? We should be on a waiting list to get the opportunity to jump in with World Vision. There should be a list that's so long in the United States for us to get every kid so there's no list of children waiting that there's no possible way a mom's gonna say sorry, there's no sponsor because we got millions of Christians waiting for, for children to be born so that we can pull them out. That should be the church, but it's not because we got Netflix, because we got Instagram, because we got, we got our priorities mixed up. Because I want three steps to deal with my broken marriage rather than learning to lay down your life and do the hard work. It's not easy but to get your head up off your marriage, off yourself, off your singleness to the world. This is the call of the church. We transform. And this is the thing. Churches, we just have these little tiny visions for our little tiny churches. Even if it's a 10,000 person church, if your vision is for the church, it's the wrong vision. God never asked us to have a vision for a church. He, had a, he asked us to have a vision for his creation. So church growth strategies of getting people in seats, buying LED screens and bigging bigger, building bigger auditoriums is not enough. It's global transformation. One child, one person at a time. This is what we're a part of. This is the bride of Christ. This is the greatest institution that's ever been created. The church of Jesus Christ. But we got our priorities mixed up. Present Future Church exists to transform culture. Um, I'm gonna give you this passage of scripture and help ruin it for you. 
Um, that way you'll never pray this prayer the same again. So there's this passage in, in Matthew chapter 6, and it's famous. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your... My kid, who's five, knows this prayer. Church, let's do, uh, uh, we'll just start with this one passage. It's even on the screen. I mean, can we get even more convenient? Let's read this out loud. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, so we, this is not some invitation to meditate philosophically, esoterically around this idea of what, who is God, what is he like, what is, oh, chant this over and over again as a liturgy. That's not what this prayer was designed for. This is a radical, revolutionary revelation, a call to arms, roll up your sleeves, go to work, get dirty on fixing my world. Abba in heaven, Father in heaven, intimate relationship with God. Jesus, the, one of the greatest revelations of Jesus is that you can call the creator of the universe Abba. That he comes to reveal that God is a good father who loves his children. And that when we come to pray, we don't come with a list of all the good we've ever done because he already, he already knows that's not gonna do it. He just wants to lavish his extravagant love upon us. Like a, like a father who's waiting for a prodigal to come home and he just takes off running. My boy's home. My daughter's back. Welcome. Let's throw a party. You can't earn your identity. I get it. That is how we start this prayer. In this divine dance of community of love, we enter into knowing our place with the Trinity. That's my Abba, my daddy. I mean, that's a, my sons were in the pre-service prayer rolling around on the carpet. That's literally what happened today. My wife's like, is that okay? I'm like, yeah, it's okay. This is their church. I'm their daddy. I'm in charge. And they're, they're always like, no, mom's in charge. I'm like, yes, you're right. Mommy is, she is the boss. From there, he says, when you pray, you pray, um, make, make your name holy, set it apart. Because it, it, when people see who you really are, when we, when we recognize you're the way maker, miracle worker, when we speak the truth of who you are, things begin to change. And then we begin to partner with you. And this is where we come in in partnership with God. We begin to pray on earth. Your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not God. What's your will for my personal life goals? How do I find the right date how do I find my next spouse? Like, what's your will for me? Do I work at Starbucks or do I work at Rose Park? I don't know. Corporate's more consistent and there's like insurance and this is like cool and everyone wants to do. I, that's not what it's about. It's not about you. It's about coming in alignment to God's dream for the world. You have a part to play in it. You come underneath it. You come alongside in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about the transformation of the cosmos. So when you pray on earth as it is in heaven, you are praying against the world where there is destruction, where there is poverty, where there is disease, where there is child endangerment and crime and, and issues that people face, that it would be flipped upside down, that heaven would be tasted, seen, and experienced on earth. That is God's will for all people to experience what life was intended to be like in the first place, in the garden. So when we pray, we partner with him. We work to ensure that heaven comes wherever we are as heaven exists here and now. 
That's the role of the church. That's your role. So now, I had this interesting thought, but just one more quick thing. So when the church is called apostle, uh, when the church leaders are called apostles, or the church is apostolic, which is what it was referred to in the beginning. It's apostolic. It comes from this Greek word, um, which means sent one. So the church in its nature is sent out. So the definition of apostles is people that are sent out. And as we are sent out, we are just continuing the ministry of Jesus, establishing his way of life everywhere we go. So it looks like healing. It looks like proclaiming the gospel. It looks like um, making sure that the poor are cared for. It looks like um, taking in the foreigners and the immigrants. It looks like creating a list for the widows so that they have enough food to eat because they lost their support. It looks like creating hospitals. It looks like evangelism. It looks like deliverance ministry. It looks like Alpha. It looks like Laundry Love. It looks like St. Luke's New Life Beginnings. It looks like World Vision. It looks like you going into your everyday job filled with the resources of heaven, changing the atmosphere through quiet prayer, through kindness, through generous tips, through thinking and listening to people's stories through a text message, come to Alpha. And that person inviting the Holy Spirit to bring transformation in their life. A million different ways we bring heaven to earth. But are we awake? I didn't realize I was going to like rap today. It's like eight mile against Papa Doc and the free world. <laughs> That's just a dream of mine. So there you go. You know, referring to, if you haven't seen eight mile, I'm not recommending it. It's got some bad words in it. YouTube, the rap battles, they're insane. I'm just saying, this is an invitation to join God in his dream for creation. His dream for creation. When we pray that prayer, we pray God's way of life here and now. And the church, uh, transforming culture is the responsibility of the church. So we look for ways to, to partner with God. And this is what it means to be salt. This is what it means to be light, a light to the world. It is our nature to bring this to the church. So we do this a million different ways. We do this at this church a million different ways. And I want to lift your head so that you can engage intentionally in your everyday life as someone who brings the kingdom of God wherever they go. It, throughout the scriptures, there's names for what you are as a person. You are a missionary. It's not a select call for a few people. Every follower of Jesus is considered a missionary. You're an agent of reconciliation. We are people that bring um, uh, people of difference and diversity and hostility together. Church is the most segregated group of people in the United States. We are designed to bring people of diversity together. How are we doing, church? And I know a couple weeks ago I've talked about white privilege and a few people walked out. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what do we do with power and privilege? What do we do with resourcing our resources and leveraging them on behalf of those that have been systemically oppressed in our country and in other countries? And it's our responsibility, it's our biblical mandate to ensure that we take care of those things that are considered injustice or unjust. We got we to gotta work hard. You are a disciple maker of the nations. If you are a stay-at-home mom with a little one, you are still, and you're a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple maker of the nations. Everywhere you go, and you're discipling the next generation through your, your relationship, 
you're, you, as you hang out with other moms in other places, as you, as you connect, however you connect with people, because the early years are really hard for all you moms that are here. Bless you. But as you stay committed, you're still commissioned as a disciple maker of the nations. Nobody gets to opt out. We are spirit-empowered witnesses. This is who we are as a church. So church, just be who you are. So we pray, we partner, we do everything we can in bringing his way of life on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we get to do as a church. It is our privilege. It is our destiny. It is what we work for, and it will be our legacy. Will we envision a church that has a building or a church that transforms a city and cities? So for me, I don't, I've never had a vision for Garden. I've had a vision for Long Beach. And I, I now have vision for other cities and to wake, wake up other churches and pastors to see that your job is not to have a five-year plan for the church, but to have a 30-year plan for the city. World Vision does it in 18 years. Let's have an 18-year plan for Long Beach. Poverty decrease. Homelessness decrease. Uh, employment e- increase. Let's have, make sure that, uh, that there are, there's no crime. There's no issues of of children not having enough in our city. Let's make sure that there's none of that going on. What if we had a vision for Long Beach to be the most livable city in the United States in 18 years? I'm not a politician. I'm just a pastor. That's what pastors should be, thinking about the cities we live in and experiencing transformation. That's what it means to be apostolic because the church transforms culture. So if we have thousands and thousands of people coming to our church and hundreds and hundreds of kids and ministries blowing up and we have mega church and we've got YouTube channels and all this stuff, whatever it means to be successful today, if that's all we have and Long Beach doesn't notice, we failed. Wake up. Transformation of our city doesn't start with this vision, this big 50-year plan by Darren Roundsen on the website of the Garden Church. It starts with you being transformed. Edwin Friedman says this when he talks about transformation of systems. And when you think of system, think of family, think of community, think of uh, organizations, businesses, cities, and nations. He says it takes one person to change a system or an environment. One person to become responsible for change. They can become a non-reactive, non-anxious presence and a change agent for that system. The the seeker that Edwin Friedman has in his uh, book, failure of nerve. As he says, the problem is with the world today, and this is, he died, it's prophetic, it was looking at the future, he said, the problem is people want to blame everyone else for the problems. And And what we have is this massive amount of data and information about people, like Enneagram types and Myers-Briggs types and how communities interact and people interact. And he's like, the problem with all of that is we're missing it. We don't need leaders to know the right information. We need leaders to be self-differentiated. We need leaders to to say, okay, there's a problem. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to be a non-reactive. I'm not going to react to all the chaos that is in our world. I'm going to be a non-anxious presence. And that alone, that presence changes environments, families, and systems. So you're married, you have marital problems, and you keep blaming your wife for everything. I'm just saying hypothetically, let's just say one of you here has somebody you've been married to for 12 years. You got married on June 9th, 2007, and you planted a church a couple years ago, and there's some issues in your marriage. And what you've learned throughout your life is to blame this woman you gave me, God, which is a repeat of Genesis 3, by the way. This is the problem. And what you realize after therapy is actually you're the problem, and the blame needs to stop. Take responsibility for your actions and the whole thing will change. And guess what? It does. 
I've read this, pa- this passage, I've read this quote, I've read this book, I've taught on this book, I've taught on this, this thing before, and I didn't experience it until actually I took responsibility for myself. And I, I, I humbled myself. And this is the thing I realized, prayer cannot coexist with pride. Like prayer by in itself is humble. So when we humble ourselves, like Gabe, I need you, Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, he's like, whoa, I want to help out with youth. I want to hang, all these things start changing in your life. All of a sudden, you become transformed. And as the Holy Spirit transforms you, it pours out. There's uh, innocent bystanders hanging out that experience your transformation, and they begin to get transformed. And this is how the world, this is how the community, this is how your family changes. This is what World Vision knows. 18 years to transform a place so that they phase out. There's no World Vision in that community and it doesn't start with 18 years. It starts with one child, one community, one person at a time. So brothers and sisters, I want us to be the present future church, a church that transforms culture, and I want you to be the church that experiences transformation for yourself so that the world can see here as it is in heaven. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.